haven't done that yet, but I am on that process, I guarantee it. <laughs> but he looked at Captain Paul and he said, it was a great party. That's why I feel like for me here. You people have afforded me more than any man ever deserved. You have made my life better. You have made me devoted to the Word of God, not that I wasn't. But you pushed me beyond my limits because every week I had to study what was in here so that I would be able to tell you what God was telling me so that you would have a grasp, an understanding of how does God want us to live as individuals. And for that I have indebted to you. In fact, one of the first things that Kay and I decided to put into our home when we moved up north is an office so that I can put my desk, my computers, and I continue to study. It will be my daily uh, exercise to study the Word of God as if I were going to preach that weekend. And I want you to know that I will, every time I do it, I will think of you, thank God for you, and be remembered how much you love me, how much I have to to love you in return. And so, I didn't bring out little tissues. My nose does not, <laughs> nose does not function on the tissues. <laughs> I wanted to bring a beach towel. Alright, let's do what we do here the best. Let me try to make some sense. What I want to do, let me tell you what I would like to say to you at the end. I want to say to you that you are, as we studied last week out of Acts chapter 9, if you have a Bible, turn there. It's uh, really a wonderful place to live that. As we saw last, last week out of chapter 9, we saw that uh, in verse 10, we came across a little bit of this. There was a certain disciple. I love the, I love the way the writer of the book of Acts mentions that there's just a certain disciple. His name was Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, verse 10, Ananias, and Ananias said, Behold, here am I, Lord. The Lord said to him, verse 11, Arise, and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For behold, this is very important, don't miss it, he is praying. What we learned in verse 9, if you look back, is that Saul from Tarsus, who will later become Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, was also fasting. We were told in verse 9 that for three days without sight he, did, he neither ate nor drank. And so the Lord said that Ananias in verse 11, go, do this for this guy named Saul from Tarsus, for he is praying. It says in verse 12, he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Verse 13 tells us that Ananias answered the Lord and said, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints in Jerusalem. And here, 
He has the authority from the chief priests to bind all who call upon your name. Basically, Saul had the right to take people back to Jerusalem and then they would be killed. But the Lord, it says in verse 15, said to Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. He will bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Father, I want you to take this word and move it into our lives. Each of us here are here for a different reason. Father, there, is, uh, there are some people here, here that are deeply hurt by something, someone. Father, they need your touch of comfort. There are others, Father, that are going through difficulties they don't know how to deal with, and they need your counsel. There are others, Father, who are just here to hear from you in a very special way. Father, we pray that you will answer their prayers. There might be even some here, Father, that are not certain that they know you yet. Father, for them, I pray with all of my heart that they would consider who you are, so that they might know the joy of knowing you and loving you, like so many of us do here at this church. So, Father, would you please bless this time? Would you open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things that come from your law? And then, Father, would you move me aside so that I don't interfere with those that you know you want to deal with in a certain fashion? I don't know, Father. I'm just here to be used by you. That's, that's my sole purpose. It, it's never buried. It's, it's what I wanted to do from the very moment you gave me this privilege. Father, I will take it with me until you tell me differently. Lord, bless this people, please. Bless this church, please. Bless Pastor Mark, Father, as he, as he is going to lead us. Pray that you will watch over him and care for him, Father. And that he will receive the same love that you so graciously poured out on me from these dear people. And that he would, in return, love them back. And so, Father, I want to thank you for this time, this very precious time, this, this time that you've given me. I cannot can't say what I want to say, but I know you know my heart. So I'll admit that. I pray these things in the most precious name that we ever know. And that is in the name of your Son, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Just God and me, this is the last time I'll do this for a while. Never had this experience before. It's new. It's um, it's, it's fresh and it's uh, it's real to me right this moment. If you recall last week, we tried. I reasoned with you out of the Word of God that not only Paul, Saul, not only was he a chosen instrument of God, but I reasoned with you and myself last week that each person who has ever accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, called by God, we are to be a chosen instrument of this as well. He wants to use you and you and me more than you and I can ever realize. 
He's got a definite plan for you in your life. Whether you be a Paul type or an Ananias type, it's irrelevant. It's all entirely up to God. His wisdom and His plan for you upon this earth. You see, Paul said it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. He's quoted this oftentimes. He says it this about those of us who have trusted in Christ. He says, you are, this is verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2, you are God's workmanship. You have been created in Christ Jesus for good works. Here's the key. Which he, he God already has prepared beforehand so that you and I would walk in them. You see, anything and everything that God has for you, you, a chosen instrument of God, He has already preordained for you. He has prepared whatever it is that He is going to call upon you to do. And all He asks of you is the same thing He asks of me, is the same thing He asks of Ananias, is the same thing He asks of God. Simply walk in His plan for you and your life. And while we are waiting, we studied last week out of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. You'll remember as soon as I quote it to you. He said, while you are waiting, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And He, the Bible tells you and me, will exalt you at the proper time. And what we learn out of Scripture is that proper time is His timing upon your life. Not yours, not mine. We can't say, well, I want to do this, so I'm going to do this. We've got to wait upon the call of God so that He can move us. And the, the scope and the size and the, the world would call so-called importance of, of our task and all the details that go along with it, that's entirely up to God. He is the one who will move you to me. We need to be careful not to get too far out in front of him, nor to lag behind, but to, but to hear his voice and, and to move. And that's why I've preached to you over and over and over again. Find out God's call upon your life. And once you do, it'll be the happiest you've ever been to know that God has called me to do what I do. Sets me free in this life in which I live. It enables me to be the man of God that God wants me to be, the best of my ability. And so if you wish to move ahead of God, then your success might be mighty. There are many, many people that are mighty. But their success is mighty in the eyes of the world. But it's useless, the Bible tells us. It is worthless before God. God is the one who should move us. We're, we're His workmanship. We've been created in Him for good works. He's already prepared beforehand. All He asks of you and me is to walk in it. Mark tells us plainly about doing things apart from God. He says, what is it profit? This is Mark chapter 8, verse 36. What is it profit anyone if they gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? You need to walk with God. And if you hear God's call and you do not move when He calls you, then your blessings will be enjoyed by someone else because God will not allow His plans to go undone. 
He'll just find another who is willing to serve him. And that person will take the blessings away from what is rightfully yours. I can't even begin to tell you. I cannot even begin to tell you the blessings that my wife and I have experienced these 41 years as we serve the Lord. Back in chapter 9 of Acts, we see in verse 10, a certain disciple. That's what it says. His name is Ananias. And so the Lord came to Ananias in a vision and said to him, Oh Lord, and Ananias said to him, Here am I, Lord. It's interesting that our Lord knew Ananias by name. You know what's even more interesting? He knows you and you and me by our name as well. And so Ananias, sitting at home, minding his own business, watching probably the game of the week. No. <laughs> Jesus comes to him with a vision. He says, get up, Ananias. Verse 11. Go to this street called Straight. Inquire at the house of Judas, because there is a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying. He is praying, Ananias. So ready and willing to be used, or is he? Ananias says, here am I, Lord. But then Ananias says to Jesus in verse 13, Lord, we have heard from many about this man. He has done harm to your saints in Jerusalem, and he's come here with the authority of the chief priest, verse 14, to bind everyone who calls upon your name. In other words, to take us back to Jerusalem and have us killed. You catch what he's saying to our Lord? You catch what Ananias is saying. He is basically saying, are you positive of this one? Are you sure? We've been talking, those of us who heard about this guy, saw he's blind, you know? Let's leave him like that. He won't be able to harm us. It seems as though he's questioning the wisdom of our Lord. Wait a minute, how about you? How about you? How about me? When Jesus calls, do you hear his wisdom? Do you hear what he asks of you? Or, like Ananias, do you reason with him? You find yourself saying, Lord, I, I can't do what you're asking. I don't have the talent. I don't have the time. Lord, I don't have the finances. I don't have the ability. Whatever your excuse might be. And like Ananias, you refuse to listen to the word of God. Didn't Ananias hear in verse 9 that, that, that Saul was fasting? Didn't he hear in verse 11 that he is praying? Jesus say that, didn't you? I mean, you did. We just say, we've read it. We heard it. What's wrong with Ananias? Question might be, what's wrong with us? You've heard his voice. You can't deny it. We've taught you. We hear his workmanship. We teach you that you've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. We teach you that God 
so loves you that he has already prepared beforehand what you're to do so that you just simply have to walk in. That's all. It's all that God asks of you and me. Listen, what God requires, he always provides. I'm living proof of that. Look, I would be the last person that people who knew me before I came to Christ that I would ever be with. Um, given this responsibility. No one would have guessed that who knew me before. Nobody. I'm a walking advertisement for, for Lord's grace and how I do move about my life if we just simply say, here am I, Lord, use me. And forget about our inadequacies. Trust that what God requires of you, He will provide. I believe that. You see, my wife and I read in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that Paul told not only all of you, but me too, that I am confident, Paul said, of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. Or how about when Paul said four chapters later in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, you heard God say, my God, Paul says, shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And so when Kate and I were married, we were asked to do a, a ministry with athletes. And we went to a conference and, and we were told you have to live by faith. There's, you have no money, you, you just do the ministry like missionaries to athletes. We came back home and we prayed about it and we, we saw what Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 and 6 said to us. It says, I will never desert you, says the Lord. I will never forsake you, says the Lord. And my wife and I took that very seriously. He said in the next verse, verse 6, the Lord is your helper. Don't be afraid. What will mere man do to you? What are your doubts and yours? What are your fears? Do you not know that God Almighty has already answered them for you? All He asks of you and me is the same thing He asks of anyone. That's trust Him. Trust His marvelous word. Trust His wonderful promises and cling to them because what God promises and what He requires, He will always, 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 always provide a living group of it. I want you to listen to this, and I want you to forgive me. Forgive me for what I'm about to say. You already know, you do not. Paul, Saul, Tarsus was, by the name of the Lord, a chosen instrument of God. You can agree with me on that, right? And so are you, and so am I. So forgive me what I'm about to say. Paul, of Tarsus, was born into a Jewish family. I was born into a, a family. With a mother and father who loved me so much. I was born into a family that when I sat on the porch when I was it was before I went to school, so I don't know how old I was. But my dad had two gloves in the house and a baseball. And I would sit on the porch with my dad would come home from working in the factory at the Ford Motor Company. When, it, when he pulled up to the front of the house with his car, I would run to him and I'd say, Dad. Just play catch. 
And I give him his glove as a ball. And I put on my glove and I say, make it pop. And my little throw it hard. And some of the neighbors back then no TV, none of that stuff. The neighbors would sit and say, John, you're going to hurt that kid. And my dad would say, he can handle it. Saul of Tarsus was born into a Jewish family. I was born into a family that taught me to play baseball. Saul knew Greek, the language. He knew Hebrew as well. I knew how to speak to athletes. I knew their language. You see, Saul was trained to be a Pharisee. I was coached by one of the greatest college baseball coach in America, Rod Dato of USC. I signed and played with the sack with the Los Angeles Dodgers. <laughs> California Angels. I don't know what they call them now. Back when I played, that was it. And I was drafted by the Los Angeles Lakers. I knew their language. Just as Saul was chosen by God, so I was chosen by God to minister to the athletes. And so you and you are chosen by God. You see, there is nobody quite like you on the face of this good earth. You are especially made by God. And I ask you, who is better qualified to do what God has called you to do? The answer is clear. Nobody. You're the one. You've been a special trained by God. You are His workmanship. You have been created in Christ Jesus for good works. He's already prepared them before you. Just walk in them. Here is Paul. Walk in them. Never forget what God requires. He will always provide it. I want to tell you a little story out of the Old Testament of a man called Isaiah. It's in the sixth chapter of Isaiah that you might should read once in a while. It's an interesting, interesting place in Scripture. Isaiah finds himself in the temples. It's in the year of King Uzziah's death. And we are told in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1 that he saw the Lord sitting on a throne. He was lofty, Isaiah says. He was exalted, Isaiah said. The train of his robe, Isaiah said, filled the temple. Ooh, wouldn't you want to see that? It says in the next verse, verse 2, that some angels, seraphim, they were called. They had the six wings. With two of them, they covered their eyes. With two of them, they covered their feet. With the other two, they flew above the Lord in this temple. And they called out to one another. Verse 3, one of my favorite places in Scripture. They called out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. Heaven and earth are filled with His glory. Do you see Him like that? Do you see God in that fashion? Or do you see Him as, oh, someone you just come to church for, maybe to help you in a time of need, or, or someone to maybe bring you some good luck in your job, or, I don't know, how do you see Him? You see, when Isaiah saw God in this fashion, it said to, 
out of Scripture in the fifth verse. Isaiah said, Woe is me, I am a ruined man, for I am a man of unclean lips. And he says, I live amongst the people with unclean lips. You see, when you really see Jesus Christ for who he truly is, when you truly see him, I mean see him, not, not religion, not some fantasy of what spiritual life is about, but when you look at Jesus Christ and you see him for who he is, you will then see yourself for who you are, a sinner who is in need, in desperate need of a Savior. And so he acknowledges his sin and immediately we see in the next verse one of those seraphim flew to him and touched his mouth with a burning coal and said, your iniquity and your sin is forgiven. You see, the moment that Isaiah acknowledged his sin, the Lord God was faithful to forgive us. First John 1 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As soon as Isaiah saw him for who he was, admitted he was a sinner and was cleansed by the Spirit of God, he then, it says in verse 8, Isaiah heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah blurted out, Here am I. Send me. I asked him, did he have a clue where he was going? He just said, who shall we send? And Isaiah said, me, send me. Where, Isaiah? I don't know. Because what God is going to require, I believe God will provide. Never forget that. Never forget that. Isaiah didn't. Isaiah didn't know where he was going. He just knew that God was going to take care of him if God was going to send him. Are you like Isaiah or Ananias? Or Paul, for that matter, to say when God calls, here am I, Lord, use me. How serious are you with your faith? March 12, 1973, most of you weren't even born. I asked Jesus Christ to honor the Hawaii to come into my heart and to forgive me of my sin. At that time, my wife and I were not married. I was dating Kay for about two months. And I became serious about my faith. I, I can't express how serious I became about my faith. And so I met Kay, and I said, if you can believe this, I don't think we should see each other again. I've just become a believer. And you need to straighten out your life. She's talking to If you ever saw the pot, I'll tell you why. That's true. Hey, great. So, she then told me that just the night before or the day before, I don't remember how it went exactly. You can ask her. That's right, let's come forward again. She said, I just rededicated my life to Christ the other day. And it was then that I looked at Kay and fell deeply, madly in love with her. And it was six months later that we married. And when we married, we, uh, we were asked to go by a number of circumstances, needing a, 
a gentleman by the name of Arliss Priest who invited us to a conference in Chicago where I first met Kenny Hutchinson. I was in. He walked into the room and it filled. That room is filled with buds. It was there that I was challenged, my wife and I, to serve the Lord in the Los Angeles area. We the Los Angeles Dodgers and the California Angels and the Los Angeles Rams and eventually the Raiders came into town. We had a ministry with them as well as the, the Lakers. And we were asked to live by faith. We were asked to trust God for our livelihood. When we came back to California from Chicago, we looked at each other and said, what do you think? I said to her, I think, you have to know this now, I've only been a Christian a little while, I didn't know the difference between the book of Genesis and the book of Revelation, and anything else in between, I knew nothing. And I said to her, I think we'd be in the safest place trusting God than trusting ourselves. I don't know why I said that. I believe that God had me saved. And so started the journey of serving the Lord. For 12, 13, um, 14 years, we, we had a faithful ministry with the doctors and the angels and the rams, and then they left to St. Louis. And, and then after that, we were called to the church in Northern Illinois, called the pastor of that church, started up with 150 people. 150 people grew to about 4 to 5,000, I think. That's what I was told. Numbers was never achieved. We served the Lord faithfully there. When I asked Chuck Swindoll, should I pastor a church? He said, of course. Of course you should. I said, but, but here. He said, no. Trust God. So we pastored that church, and someone know what happened, and most don't. Natalie Levin said, we started to rock in the church. I may mention last night, because in the service last night, were two people that without them, I don't know what I would have done. And one was a, a woman by the name of Laura Chandler, who was one of the founding fathers of our church. She and her husband Rob. She was a woman that was gifted with faith. She had great faith. And when I looked and thought, I can't do this, I can't move, I was, what happened to me and your other friends was worse, worse than the death of my father. It was a very devastating time in my life. I didn't know how to handle it. And she had the faith of a lion, a warrior. She wouldn't let us quit. And the other person who was in the service last night was uh, Rudy and, and Ingo Mark Miller. They had heard what had happened. They lived in Malibu at the time. We had a meeting, Rudy and I, and I said, I don't know what to do. I don't know what we're, we're going to do. We have no place to meet. We have, no, we have nothing. He said, well, you have something. You want me to check for $100,000. Without him, there would be no rock in the church. A few years later, we were having a little bit of a lull. I called on him again. We met often between that call and I said, you know, we're having some problems. He said to me, 
Lunch table says, you know, I'm stuffed in here. He wrote me another large check to carry us through. Laura was like an Ananias, she was like a Paul. He was like an Ananias, he was like a Paul. Chosen instruments of God to move us along this journey. And then you two people became involved, and, and so we had a church that's growing, vital, going to make an impact in this community because God has given us one of the greatest pastors to come after me that could possibly happen. Pastor Mark. And people have been faithful to me and love me. I ask you, in return, be faithful and love him. He's a good man. And he's going to teach the word of God to us. So I guess what I'm saying right now is, I love you. I don't know how to say goodbye. I'm not going to say goodbye. I'm going to come back. My, my son is here. Kay and I planned into our budget that we would come back and forth to see my grand, our grandson and our family and to visit the church. So we'll be back. So I'm not saying goodbye, but what I want to say with all my heart, I don't know how, I don't know how to hold it. I'm telling you how much I love you. I'm going to ask Pastor Dave and Pastor Mark to come on up and close the service. Um, Dave's going to say a few words and Mark is, we've done this already twice. I can't, can't act surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I started pulling and pulling my teeth. They said, no, just watch it go ball. Well, we need to stay with come. Men of the church, if you would do me a favor, if you see me start to tear up, would you please wipe your own eyes too? I don't care if there's tears in them or not, just don't let me be in your own home. See how this goes. You know, uh, Pastor John never has never wanted to be honored and wants the center of attention. But it's right for me just take a couple minutes, and that's all I'm going to do is take a few minutes to remember what this wonderful man of God means to us. Because as we celebrate John, we are really celebrating our Lord and Savior who sent John to us. I can tell you, no man. Oh, God has had the impact on my life that John has. And I see a lot of nodding heads. Same for you, isn't it? He changed our lives. He changed our lives by helping us fall more deeply in love with our Savior and our God than we would have without him. So when I think of John, I think of three words. I think of a lot of wonderful words. Three is all I have to think for. But if you want to see me after the service, I'll tell you the rest. The first is faithful. As you see in the program, as John's mentioned, three decades as a senior pastor, four decades of ministry. That's not easy work. That's a faithful man of God. You know how many times God has been invited to speak somewhere else or 
be honored at a banquet or something, or even take a vacation with his family. He turned it down because he wanted to be here with us, because that's what he is and does, faithfully here. And you know he studies so faithfully. He doesn't study because he loves knowledge. He studies because he loves the Word of God and he wants us to love it too. So he wants to teach it to us as accurately as he possibly can. With his teaching, we never had to worry about getting filler. It was just the real content, the real truth. Line upon line. Never wavered from that. PJ always gave us his best, week in, week out, whether he was feeling well or not. He's been through various illnesses. Remember when he sat up here after his knee surgery? And he's, you know, he, 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 he had to find him a chair that he could sit in and kind of sit up and see you guys, the one that he wouldn't slide out of, <laughs> come down the stairs. He didn't like preaching in that chair, but he was here. He was here, as they would say in baseball. PJ left it all on the field. He held nothing back. These are all things, by the way, that stay here. The things of God don't leave a building when the person of God leaves the building. The things of God stay here, so the faithfulness stays with us. Because most of all, what PJ taught us was not to be faithful to Him, but to be faithful to our Lord Jesus Christ. And we will. But we are faithful to each other. Loving, second word of love. I mean, have you ever seen a man that loves the Lord more, loves God's word, and how many times has he told us how much he loves us? I never got tired of hearing it. Do you? I can't read my notes. You know, he's told us that he loves us because we drive him to study the Word of God. But there is another reason that I can tell you now why he really loves us. And this is true. He loves us because Walt is so incredibly lovable. <laughs> standing here, I see what he sees. This is the best seed in the house. PJ Phil is open. And this church of love, when he preached, the words just flowed from his heart like a clear mountain stream to soothe and invigorate his souls. PJ loved what he preached. He lived what he preached. We could all see that as plainly as we could see that cute little nose on his face. Final word with faithful, loving, third is courageous. And honestly, courageous is probably the word I think of most of the time. He reminds me of somebody very special in the Old Testament, a man named Eleazar. You may not know that name because he's not mentioned too often, but he's mentioned in the book of First Chronicles in Second Samuel. Eleazar was one of King David's mighty men. In David's army, he had a select team. Wow, these were his most courageous, able, and devoted soldiers. And Eliezer in particular fits PJ to a T, and I'll tell you why. In 1 Chronicles 11, the army of Israel, the army came to a place where they 
Philistines were gathering for battle. And when the army saw the Philistines attacking, the Philistines were a nasty bunch. The army retreated, but not Eliezer. It's not going to retreat. He stood there with David. Imagine them standing back to back, and the Bible tells us that uh, they took their stand in the middle of the field. They defended it and struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great For you who have been around for a little while, know that our church has gone through some challenges. And I can promise you that each time Pastor John said his crowd, when he defended this field, he defended this fellowship, he defended this church with the Lord of God. And the Lord has given him a great picture here. Second Samuel, I think it says, my eyes are way too blurry to read, but it says, Second Samuel uh, 10 has one more detail about Eliezer you need to know, because this is sort of huge on It says that Eliezer stood his crown and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. This man fought so long and hard his muscles locked, he could not let go of the sword. Doesn't that sound like a senior pastor? who has fought to get fight for so long, he will not let go of the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Can you picture Eliezer in that battle, surrounded by Philistines? Can you hear the sound of what his warrior sword had to sound like, clashing against shields and slamming against other weapons? Don't you imagine that that sword was pretty beat up in that battle? If you haven't had a chance, take a look at Pastor John's Bible, his sword. That's a beat up book. Spine's all raggedy, it's coming loose and it's scratched because John has wielded that weapon for so long and so well as he defended this field. Men of courage, like Eliezer, like Pastor John, don't run when they're outnumbered. And they don't calculate their odds. They only look to the Lord of victory. So faithfulness, love, and courage. Again, these are things that we see in you, John, you Thomas, and Paul for us. They don't believe. They stay here in the church because God is still here. God is not leaving. Just one of the greatest things I ever know is leaving. Okay, Oquan. Pastor John will tell you that not only did he minister to the health care, he wouldn't say that, but he would say this part. He married well. <laughs> wow, you know, John would be the first to say that without Cain, John would not be who he is. Pastor John and Cain wanted to leave this church better than they found it. I think the Lord has given them that victory. And now, After this service, they're moving to Oregon. That seems like a long distance, but I checked them out. And I have some good news. Oregon is not out of the range of our love. It's not out of the range of our emails and texts and phone calls. I'm going to blow up your phone. The <laughs> and most of all, it's not out of the range of our prayers. As we think about our dear pastor, 
Make his wife gay. Let's make those prayers. Let's just turn those into prayers because God will richly bless them. And he's thanked us a bunch for, for what we've been doing. How have we ever calculated that time to us? Would you please join me in prayer? Just bow your heads and Father, we give the words to God. But thank you for giving us the most devoted man of God I've ever met. Father, I, I pray we will never forget the Holy Man Bible that's so high for us to see as the standard of our lives. Father, this is a painful moment, but it's a sweet moment because you are leaving, you're leaving him, and you're leaving your church. We know that and we trust that and we thank you for that, Father. But most of all, we just want to say, please, bless John K. Warhaus. As our paths now are going to separate for a little while, but we're all going to continue to walk in your perfect life. Thank you, Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
at this church, whether that's our website or literature, wherever that might be, we want him forever to be linked with what God has done through his ministry here. Amen. Thirdly, we want to be able to keep BJK in the loop with the goings on here at the Rock Community Church. And conversely, we want to know what's going on with that one more. And then lastly, to have BJ preach as often as it makes sense to him and to the senior pastor of this church. And finally, before we pray, I want to share with you Psalm 40. This man could have penned these words himself. Listen to these words carefully. This is his ministry to us so many years. Psalm 40, verses 8 through 11. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have proclaimed glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. Behold, I will not restrain my lips, O Lord, you know. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from your great congregation. You, O Lord, will not withhold your compassion from me. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve it. Amen? Amen. PJ, I'd like you to come up here and let's prayer for you. And while he's standing up here or getting positioned, I'd like the elders and and the trustees can come up and pray over to you with And I'd also like to invite anybody that would also like to come and lay hands on the DJ. Please do so at this moment. If you're more comfortable staying seated, please feel comfortable to remain seated. But if you'd like to come up and pray with DJ, please do so now.
Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.